Sometimes getting things done just involves you working hard, but other times you have to coordinate work among people or get work done through other people. In those cases, you just can't escape the importance of power and influence. Think about it this way. If you ask a person to do something, why would he or she say yes and comply? It has to do with the power you hold and the influence you wield. This holds true regardless of whether you're working with your boss, your direct reports, your coworkers, or even with friends or members of your family. So if you want to be influential, stay tuned to this conversation. Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. Yeah, so today we're talking about power. Power and influence, that's right. We are talking about what power is. We're going to talk about what the primary sources of power are with regard to leadership in organizations. We're going to talk about this idea of influence and different influence tactics, and we'll kind of weave in the implications for people, leaders, and organizations along the way instead of kind of talking about them at the end. So, you know, I also would just like to tell our listeners that, you know, Chris is just really feeling awkward and he's feeling socially inept right now because we're recording again in person. And the last time we did this for, for a recent episode, he, he just thought it was so strange. So let's all just uh, send positive energy towards Everett right now. Lighten up. Man, it's so weird because I'm looking <laughs> over my laptop here right now. We're right in the same room today. And I'm looking at you and I just, it's hard to like not crack up because I'm having such a good time with my buddy here. It's like <laughs> it is a good time. I'm I'm joking. It is really great to uh to do this in person. So But let's get to this power thing. Let's talk because about everybody power. wishes they had some more of it, right? Or yeah. influence, you know, in the social media it's like, oh, he's an influencer. An Look, influencer. He has all the Insta Facebookies. <laughs> you know, like all, all that the kind snap of, faces. All I the think snap that's faces. Yeah. Yeah. So but th so there's this idea, but people don't know that this has actually been studied. You know, yeah. they t take a monkey see, monkey do approach, or maybe I'll be more like that person, or, oh man, I wish I could be like that person. They seem to have all the power and influence. Well, for good or for evil, we hope our listeners use it for good. We're going to talk about power and influence and how you rock that stuff. Yeah, how you rock that stuff. And, you know, it's important also to note that this conversation around power and influence is relevant regardless of your position of formal authority. So sometimes people think power and influence and even leadership itself only come with a formal title, a formal position in an organization, but that just isn't the yeah. case. And they get into those positions and they they stink at it <laughs> because they actually don't know how power influence works. Right, right. So let's start with this idea of power and what power is. And, you know, one way, like you said, this has been studied for many, many years. Um, one way that we can think about power, at least as it relates to leaders and managers and organizations, is that power is this ability to influence the behavior of other people and also to resist unwanted influence. So you can get people to do things, you get people to behave in a different way, while also, you know, not changing the way you behave because you can resist that unwanted influence. So, you know, an important thing about power is just because you have the ability to influence other people doesn't necessarily mean you choose to do so. 
Yeah, so, and also, if you're never influenceable by somebody, you're going to be really left behind. It's important to have good influences in your life, right? you got to open yourself up. You know, if you, if you get married, and, and I don't, I'm pretty sure this is evidence-based. I'm going out on a limb here. <laughs> if you get married and don't allow your spouse to influence your behavior, at least for <laughs> me, my marriage wouldn't have lasted very long. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot of give and take in a, in a spousal relationship, in any relationship. And I think your point is, is really important to emphasize here that, you know, just having a position of authority doesn't mean that you... Uh, resist all influence. That is the dumbest thing you could possibly do, probably, or at least one of the dumber things you could do as a leader if you're not allowing yourself to be influenced because you have to be a constant censor of the things going on around you. You know, in my leadership positions that I've been a part of, you know, or have had the, the privilege to hold, I you got to listen to people. And, you know, if someone brings you a good idea and, you know, you resist it just because that person doesn't have the power or you want to show your power, that's silly. Yeah. And think about resistance to this. Let's say there's a big bully in school, right? Big or a bully. big bully there's in There's big workplace. bullies in workplaces too. Right, yeah. right. You got a big bully in the workplace, but you've got some dirt on that person. Ooh. And so he bullies everybody else. And all you do is have to look at that person and they just like cool it or walk the other way. <laughs> nobody's going to mess with you. You're like, dude, what's going up? You know, Jim Bob over here has, you know, just can walk wherever he wants. That bully leaves him alone, right? Yeah, that, that, that certainly can happen. So, you know, the power is an important thing. It's this, you know, can be your ability to resist other people's influence. Not that you necessarily always want to do that. Um, you know, when we think about power within organizations and as it pertains to supervisors, Kind of the earliest way that this was thought about was from a, a famous um, piece of writing that came from uh, French and Raven. So those are the last names. I don't even remember their first names. But anyway, back in 1959, they wrote about this and these different, these five different sources of power. So um, I think maybe we could talk through these different types of power. Now, these are not the only types of power. There are other types of power. And actually, we're going to put a link to a, an article in the show notes that kind of talks about the 50 years of influence in the workplace and has, um, you know, kind of some other types of ideas you may want to consider. So if you really want to dig deep, go there. But This, is, this is Power 101, right? Power 101. And, and if you get these worked in your mind, it's like opening up the hood of a car and you now see how the engine is working, right? Right. So the three types um, that we'll start off with are legitimate, legitimate power, reward power, and coercive power. That's right. And those are what we consider three types of organizational power because all three of those, legitimate, reward, and coercive power, all come from your position in the organization. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily have these. I mean, you could imagine maybe some circumstances where you might, but you you get a lot of these from uh, the organization itself. So that's why those are called organizational power. Yeah. And if you're in a one-on-one -on -one relationship or with somebody or you're, you know, the two of you got marooned on a lot island, you're not going to be able to really use these kinds of power. <laughs> this is not the Gilligan Islands kind of, yeah. you know, maroon type thing. So let's start with legitimate power. Right. Um, this, you need an organization or I'll say cohort of people that regularly meets, right? So that could be, you could be at your volunteer um work at a soup kitchen, or if you're in a church choir or something like that, there these will come into play. So legitimate power 
is just comes from a position of authority, right? Yeah. Um, it's, you know, they call it formal authority, that kind of stuff. Right. So this is, this comes with your title, um, you know, because of what you do and your position in the organization, you likely have the ability to make certain types of decisions you have, um, and people will do what you say just based upon that. Right. So that's what we call legitimate power. Um, reward power is a little bit different and that comes from your ability to hand out resources or other types of things that people want. Yeah. So, you know, that's where, hey, Ben, you and I got to go talk to the boss. We're going to try to be really sweet so he gives us something. Or, <laughs> you know, if you're trying to get past the secretary to talk to somebody for a sales call or something, maybe you like bring the special chocolates that the, <laughs> that the admin assistant likes or, or whatever, that's you know? That's certainly could be a type of reward. Um, and, you know, if you think about it from the concept, concept of a, um, you know, or from the perspective of a supervisor, you know, supervisors can also reward people with formal recognition. They can reward them with bonuses. Right. They can remote reward them access. with- Access. Yeah, access, um, training opportunities, um, all kinds of things that you potentially could reward them with. Uh, visibility on projects, right? Yeah, that, I mean, that's why we use the term gatekeeper, right? That person- the reward they have is access through or to someone or a piece of information or something like that. Right. And so they have power over you because they're the keeper of the reward. And the, their power is is somewhat tied to your, um, you know, if, if they have something you want and the degree to which you actually want it gives them more power, right? right. So that's reward power. And on the flip side of that, we have coercive power. So your ability to have control over punishments in an organization. So if you have the ability to fire someone, you have coercive power. Yeah. And and bosses kind of have all of these, right? You know, depending on the organization, formal authority, reward power, coercive power. They, yeah, depending on the organization. Yeah. But that's why it can be really terrifying if a boss says, Jim, can you see me in the office? Hmm. And, you know, I'm always like, you can't just say that and then wait. Right. You got to say it's nothing bad. Yeah. Like if it's nothing bad, otherwise, you know, then I don't have to stew. But anyway, I, I had a boss who used to sometimes just send you an email and the body of the email just said, uh, it didn't even say, please. It said PLS, like short, like couldn't, couldn't write out the whole word. PLS, see me, period. And it's like, oof, what, what's going on here? And you're right. Sometimes it'd be kind of terrifying because you didn't know what was going to happen. So these types of organizational power legitimate reward and coercive are those ones that are in some way tied to your position in the organization. But those are not the only types of power that you can have as a person. Um, if we move beyond organizational power, there's a kind of a second category that we call personal power. That's right. And the, the two pieces here, right, are expert power and referent power. Now, expert power, pretty obvious, right? It's derived from a person's expertise. Like if uh, Hawkins, Stephen Hawkins comes in and talks about physics, like people are going to listen because like, dude, he mm -hmm. like invented the epicurotic theory of the universe. Of course, I'm going to listen, right? Um, if we come into organizations, generally, they may be annoyed to see in a consultant, right? <laughs> but we overwhelm them with our charm and that's so fine. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, is like, we've been in so many organizations, people want to listen, right? Like, right. oh, I, what can I learn here? These guys have some expertise. Right, right. Um, and so that, you know, derives from your personal expertise, your skill, your knowledge. 
And, it, you know, it's having useful skill, knowledge, and expertise, you know, stuff that other people want. The other type is referent power. So this is something that you may have when other people want to be identified with you, they want to be associated with you, they like you, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, you have, imagine someone who you really like and they ask you to do something you're probably going to be a little bit more likely to say yes or make time for that person than you would for someone you don't like. All yeah. things else being equal. But you think about like movie stars. Like, so I worked in the music industry for a while. I've been around some people of note. And you are a person of note. <laughs> <laughs> a sour note. <laughs> but hey, here's the deal. You meet some of these guys in real life and they can be like tool sacks or jerks. True. Right. And but people are like, oh, my gosh, it's so and so. I want to go get my picture taken with them. I can't believe it. Oh, I oh yeah. The other day I was hanging out with so and so, you know, the name dropping and the other, you know, what Richard Dreyfus or some, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thing is that person automatically they walk into a room, they get the benefit of the doubt just because of who they are. And if that person has status in a group now. You know, if you're hanging out with a bunch of cool kids and the number one Dungeons and Dragons championship winner comes rolling in, you know, he may be hero of the nerds, but like the football guys don't care give a <laughs> rip about him, right? True. So it might be uh, dependent upon the audience, whether or not you have this this referent power. But it's not just about popularity. It, it is also about genuine um, liking of that person, right? And one yeah, thing, if somebody's well known in your industry, yeah. and they well, not introduce even well known. you, not yeah. even well known. It's just that, like, this respected. is a, yeah, yeah, respected. This is a very nice person, so they have some power over me because I don't want to let them down. I, you know, it, I feel like maybe they've done something nice for me in the past, and that's kind of. See, I let nice people down all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe someone did something nice for you in the past and, and that kind of goes into some of the influence tactics, but, you know, you may feel some obligation to do something in return. So, you know, one thing that I really like to emphasize with MBA students or other, just students in general, um, you know, some, many of them may be kind of earlier in their careers and so forth and trying to um, make a difference and wondering, okay, you talk about these sources of power. Um, I don't have a position of authority. I have no di direct reports. I have no coercive power, no reward power. How do I, I get was even done? terrified during my job interview? Yeah, I exactly. can barely afford pants. <laughs> <laughs> or at least nice pants. Um, you know, what I always encourage those folks to do is, you know, focus on these areas of personal power. And in particular, look at expertise and find something that the organization could really benefit from and learn it. Learn it well. Um, develop a skill that other people can depend upon. Is there some need that in your organization, in your team, that you can really fulfill through knowledge and expertise? And if you get really good at something, that's going to get you some power. And people will listen to you. I've yeah. been in very senior meetings where they're like, go get Filson. And Filson's an expert, right? He knows everything. And he comes in and presents. Maybe he's a little bit shaky. Maybe his PowerPoint isn't that good or whatever. Maybe his flies down during the brief, right? <laughs> so, but he gets done and leaves and it's like, you know, like that, there's, there's a recognition, right? that person's green, but they're gonna do well once they get seasoned. Yeah. And, and they immediately have executives listen to them because they have undeniable expertise. I mean, so I just also wanna note how 
Filson has continued to rise in prominence here on the Indigo Podcast. As listeners know, Filson is oftentimes the name that uh, Chris um, gives to to someone who is maybe not doing so well in the organization. Well, he's but got in, some pants now. Yeah, he's got pants now. Now we got to get his fly zipped. <laughs> 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 got to get him to wear those pants correctly. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, in a recent episode, we, we said that if you want to, you know, maybe you build a relationship with Filson and he's a good person to have be a friend with. Now he's advising the executives. This is That's awesome. right. He's got some expertise. You too can be Filson, but if you focus on building your own personal power. And in addition to expert power, you can also build your referent power by being a good person, living up to your word, being, um, you know, referable and reliable, doing the things that you say you're going to do. Um, all of those things can help you build credibility and can help you build power regardless of whether or not you actually have any kind of um, other types of power in the organization. So, all right. So we've talked about some different types and sources of power. Um, and again, there are others. The research has developed beyond these just these five sources of power. Check out the article in the show notes if you want to get kind of the full history and some other details here. But these are the basics. This is Power 101, as Chris mentioned. Um, and what these all help you do is then influence others better. So now, why don't we talk about, and this is, again, as I said, we're kind of melding our implications here, but let's talk about some guidelines for using power um, for for leaders and organizations, or really for anyone. And we can start with that piece of legitimate power. Like, what does it look like when it's used well? And again, this is formal organizational authority that you have uh, because of your title. Yeah. Or how to not be a tool sack manager, right? So <laughs> let's list, list, list some of these. Okay. So you can make polite, clear requests. That's being, awesome. Being polite is great. Yeah. Um, people respect you if you have a lot of power and you're not a jerk with it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and maybe even explain why you're making a request. Um, you know, people... People like to know the reasons for your decisions. Yeah. So and another thing is don't don't get too big for your britches, right? <laughs> don't exceed your scope of authority, right? Yeah. If you're a mid-level manager, rock that mid-level -man mid manager hat. You know, don't be the quintessential Filson mid-level manager, <laughs> right? You know, just stay in your lane because what happens is when you write a check, your rear end can't cash. <laughs> you lose a lot of power and you may not even be respected at your level of authority within that organization. Right. You know, and even if you are at the top of your organization, let's say you're very senior, you know, don't do things that are inappropriate with that power. Don't, you know, make your, um, you know, if you have like a, a, any kind of executive assistance or any other types of people in your office, don't make them, you know, do a bunch of personal stuff for you, inappropriate types of things. Like, you know, that's just Don't garbage. sleep with your subordinates. Well, yeah, don't we do see that. that one. For sure. I hope that, yeah, that, that should go without saying, but unfortunately you do have to say it. Um, that, that can definitely screw up a lot of things. But don't exceed the, the scope of your authority. You know, you do need to follow up to make sure that people are doing the things you ask. Like, that's just kind of good management, right? That, well, that's yeah, helpful. and people will test your authority from time to time. Some people Sometimes are little rascals in the organization. And, and so <laughs> if you don't follow up to verify compliance, then your power is eroding under you, and you may not even know it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and if you have to insist on people doing things, um, do it if it's appropriate. So... 
you know, I think being firm, being fair, being courteous, and being consistent, these things can really help you use uh, legitimate power well. Um, sometimes you, you see it used poorly, but these are some great ways to use it correctly. Right. So now let's talk about reward power. Yeah. Um, one of the things is to offer rewards people actually want. <laughs> you know, if, if it's like, okay, cool, we're going to do a Christmas bonus. We're going to give them cash. And we're going to send everybody a grill apron and nice grill spatula. Well, <laughs> what what if half your people live in apartments and don't even have grills? Like, right. you know, that's... <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's great. You know, sometimes you come across this thing with uh, with like the company picnic. You know, it's like, hey, we want to reward everybody with a with some with sort of mandatory family with, fun yes. time with the teams that you hate. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, and people may not actually want that. Now, some in some organizations that may be exactly what's what's required. But yeah, I think the point is that if you're going to use reward power well, make sure you're you're offering rewards that people actually want. You also want to make sure that you're being fair and ethical in your use of rewards, that you're not manipulating people just by like dangling, oh, I'm going to get you this promotion if you do this. Um, that, that really starts to get ugly if you do it that way. Yeah. And you got to be able to deliver what you say because <laughs> you basically flush all your powers. Like, yeah. guys, we're going to get a thousand dollar bonus if we do this and then nothing. Yeah. Oh, sorry about that. They're just not real. You might get a second at bat. Maybe. maybe. But probably not. Yeah. Yeah. You can also really help um, to use this this power well by explaining why someone got the reward. Um, you know, keeping it simple. Don't make it some sort of archaic, um, you know, unknown way that that rewards are being distributed. You know, I, I remember a, an organization that I worked with for a while that had some sort of merit pay bonus thing that they did at the end of the year. And the calculation for what your bonus was going to be was so complicated. Nobody understood it. And basically like, okay, this is just like some crazy way for the the top management team to justify them giving themselves the bonuses and everybody else just getting a tiny one, right? So keep it simple, make it, um, make it something that they can understand. And, you know- It's about building power, right? So if everybody <laughs> understands and you're fair and ethical with it, you're building power across many, many people. When mm -hmm. it's ad hoc and individualized, you might be building some like friends or power over one or two people, but you're flushing it with the broader community. And that's not where you want to be. Yeah, yeah. If you use this right, if you use reward power right, you can build your tr the trust and the credibility that you have as a leader. If you use it wrong, you can really destroy that. You know, one thing that I've recommended to executives and I've tried to do myself when I've when I'm in a position of authority is if I have a reward to give, I try to talk about that reward with whoever's getting it in a way it's like, hey, um, you know, the reason you're getting this, everybody else, right, is because you exemplified these different characteristics that we really care about around here and kind of telling that story so that people can see what types of things actually are being um, noticed cared about, supported, expected, right rewarded. looks like. That's right. right. I mean, people got to know what right looks like. And rewards, if used well, are a great way to do that. Yeah. And don't be manipulative with them. Mm. And because people may be nice to your face <laughs> in order to get that reward if it's not too much of a hassle. Yeah. But behind your back, they're undermining your power. And, and they'd honestly push you in front of a bus or something if they could get away with it, right? So you definitely want to be be fair and be ethical with all these types of things. So that moves us to the last type of organizational power, which is coercive power and what that might look like when it's used well. And you know, unfortunately, 
good leaders, good managers do have to use punishment sometimes. Um, you don't want, I think I more often come across managers who are too reluctant actually to use some coercive power or to, to get rid of a poor performer than the other way around. But um, when you do this well, I think the first thing you want to do is make sure that everybody knows the rules. Everybody knows the requirements. Everybody knows the expectations. And everybody knows the consequences if there's some sort of violation of maybe a specific policy. So you got to have that firm foundation, that, that pillar, if you will, um, of rules in place. Yeah. And, and everybody has to understand them. These rules need they to, have be, to really understand. Right, them, they have to be clear. Right. Yeah. And and then, you know, and sometimes this is challenging with employment laws to let the consequences be transparent. But if you're so clear about the explanation and Filson doesn't work here anymore, most people are going to kind of know why. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, when it comes to making sure that people know the rules, um, a lot of times this comes through with or organizations handle this with just like, oh, I'm going to make them read this and sign that they've read it and understand it, right? Maybe some sort of, if it's your, you know, your sexual harassment policy or something like that. Um, I think you should go beyond that. I think you should go beyond that and actually do some training, some meaningful training that's not horrible, that actually addresses some learning objectives so that people really understand that they're walking away learning it and not just, you're not just checking the box on these types of items. Right. And you can't let bad behavior just go on and on and on. Absolutely not. And we've seen this with countless executives were like, well, you know, I'll talk to him about it next time. Or maybe he was having a bad day that you're allowing your power to be eroded at that point. So you mm -hmm. need to respond promptly and then without favoritism. If your kid works for you, don't let them just get by. Right, right. Now, you do want to make sure that you investigate to get any facts that are at play um, before you make some sort of decision. So, uh, you know, this is the this isn't an, uh, an episode all about doing like HR investigations or anything, but just suffice it to say that you want to get the full picture of whatever happened before you take action. Yeah, because if you come down hard wrongly, yeah. that erodes your power. The theme here, guys, is that you're able to say what you mean and do what you say. And then that that kind of integrity and fidelity to the way you behave, your act is going to give you power within an organization like hey listen dude will never say that he's going to do something and not do it you know immediately they people are paying attention to what you have and what you say and how you're conducting yourself and people are just aware when they're navigating and trying to use their own power of where you stand right right and if there's some sort of violation of a policy um, or a rule in your organization you want to have you want to be following your own policy of whatever kind of warning system you may have in place if you have some sort of progressive discipline uh, policy. So provide the ample warnings, and then when it comes to the actual punishments, make sure that those are legitimate and they're fair, and that you know that they match the seriousness of the crime. That it's you know if it's um, if it's something minor, you don't want to necessarily fire the person. Now at the same time, if it's if they're doing something that's blatantly illegal, you don't want to just give them a warning. So. Um, you want to make sure it's commensurate. And people with the try to undermine tyrants. 
The only way tyrants maintain power abroad and other places, right, within our organizations, is through wielding this decisive, crushing power. But you don't want to have to be looking over your back. You want your power and influence to go out from you and be a positive, a good thing. Something that's, hey, if if somebody's going to stab you in the back and you've executed power well, somebody's probably going to come let you know, hey, heads up, this dude's after you. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's a really good point that if you are using particularly coercive power in a heavy-handed way, um, people are going to be looking for ways to bring you down. And you might be you know, writing your own ticket to your, to, uh, your own unemployment. Yeah, just ask my kids that. when I did a four-week moratorium on screen time. <laughs> They're like, that dad's going to go down. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, it was so heavy-handed. <laughs> but now, now, we're laughing, but you actually did that. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, my wife hated I, me for it, too. <laughs> I, bet you, I bet you did. And you, you did not relent. She's like, no, no. My wife was like, you don't have to put up with them as long as I do. <laughs> hey, four weeks moratorium on screen time. And oh, by the way, I'll be out of town on consulting engagements. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah prob- probably uh, tougher for her, but um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a tough one to do. Four weeks, so wow. Let's, okay, so that's organizational. How to rock the organization, influence and power within the org 101. Now let's talk about interpersonal power, personal mm. level power. This is something that you can wield one-on-one, or you can wield it with groups of people that don't regularly meet. Because lots of times, you know, if you just throw 50 people in a room, you don't have any positional authority. Mm -hmm. Maybe, Maybe you can take it, maybe people ascribe it to you, but these are the levels of stuff where it's not an organization where there's a clear course of structure and that kind of thing, or it's not an organization where people meet regularly. Or maybe you just are an entry-level person, or you just have, you're an individual contributor type, so you don't have the legitimate coercive or, or reward power. You just need to rely on other sources. Right. right? And the first one's expert. And this is so great because you have complete power to shape this for yourself. That's right. Um, so when you do that well, when you use expert power well, you know, you still want to explain why you're asking for something. You don't want to come across as someone who is um, just kind of a know-it-all, right? Because um, people don't respond well to that. Um, it's okay to demonstrate your expertise, but tell people, explain why you want something, why it's important, um, some of the reasoning behind it, and, and provide some evidence that whatever you're proposing is going to work. Yeah, and make sure the way, it, and this becomes challenging as you really develop expertise, as lots of times you forget what it's like to not know anything about something. That's a great point. So you're like, hey, listen, man, I need this. And obviously for the following evidence reasons. And they're like, I don't get it. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to have referent X or sorry, you're not going to have expert power in that case. So not only do you need to be an expert to have expert power, but you also need to become an expert at explaining your expertise. Yeah, because if, if people don't get that you're an expert, well, it kind of doesn't matter, right? right. You know, it's like, I'm kind of a big deal. Uh, okay. <laughs> Ron Burgundy, I'm kind of a big deal. Right. So you want to provide some evidence. You want to explain things. You know, you still need to be polite. You need to avoid being rash or careless with what you're saying. Because, you know, even if you have a lot of expertise, if you start to kind of overstate different things, or if you're inconsistent in your delivery of that expertise, it's going to hurt your credibility. Yeah. It's like, I'm a, I, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV, right? You, <laughs> you get to that place where 
and, and we see this all the time. We saw this with COVID response. We saw, you know, people that were not experts in their field talking about another field. And there's actually mm. a name for this, Ben. That's right. This is called ultra crepidarianism, which yeah. is where you start to, you know, you, you're highly regarded as an expert in one thing. And people start asking you questions maybe about something that's maybe related or not so related. And you start opining as if you're the expert on that as well. And you got to be really careful as an expert because this this can very naturally happen when people just start asking you stuff. You know, I'm a business professor, but my area of expertise is primarily in the area of human behavior in the workplace. So if someone came up and started asking you a bunch of questions about finance or accounting, and I just started opining, um, you know, I might give them some good information, but it would not be coming from the same place of expertise as it would be in my actual area. So as an expert, you know, as you develop this, this source of power, you need to be careful to make sure you do stay within your own bounds. Right. And it's right. This is an episode about power. When you step out of your bounds and say something you don't know something about, that undermines your power and influence within an organization. But I have seen people, because people will be scared to say, I don't know, mm -hmm. in an organization. Oh, people think I'm bad at but actually, if you are bold and be like, nope, I don't know anything about that. We'll have to take a look. It automatically buys you power, credibility, influence within that organization because they're, wow, this person's disciplined enough to stay in their lane. Right, right. And you still want to, as an expert, listen seriously to other people's ideas, listen seriously to their other concerns and suggestions. Now, if you are in a situation where something happens and the solution to that crisis happens to be within your domain of expertise, that is the time for you to act confidently and decisively. Yeah, let your light shine. Be, be awesome. That's right. Permission granted to be awesome. Okay, so we've talked about some different guidelines now for using power, be it the organizational types of power or the personal types of power. I think we can move on now to talk a little bit about, um, well, referent power. We haven't talked about that one yet. Yeah, we're Let's almost, we're, we're so, sorry. Gonna, we but, did power, we're going to influence, but oh, we yeah. left one important piece right. of power, which is referent power. Yeah, so what? So let's talk about what referent power looks like when it's used well. And you know, this, again, is power based on people wanting to be associated with you, be identified with you, they like you. Um, you know, you still want to be a good person about it. You want to show positive regard for other people, be respectful. Um, you want to be supportive and helpful to other people. This is a great, you know, source of power that you have. You know, don't be manipulative with other people. Do nice things for other people. Yeah. Um, all the positive trait. Now, like I'd say be tall and super attractive. That's in the literature, right? <laughs> but since I can't play in that area of, of <laughs> referent power, I got to focus on the stuff I can do, which, you know, be ac accepting, be supportive and helpful. Um, defend people and back them up. That's great. Like yeah. if, and, and one of the ways that can be helpful, and we talked about some of how men can be an ally to women in the workplace. One place that I've seen people execute really well is like, hey, Bill, that was actually Sandy's idea. Yeah. And everybody's like, not only are you doing the right thing, right? You're being helpful and all that stuff. You're also plussing up Sandy. And that just really increases your power and influence in a way that doesn't stink. Right. You know, other things you could do if you want to use referent power well is, you know, do nice things for other people, even if they don't ask for it. Um, be 
be a servant, you know, make self-sacrifices to show your concern for other people. If you're promising things, you know, keep those promises. And I think a big piece of this is, you know, having a strong sense of integrity, being sincere about it. This isn't just, a, this is not just about like a popularity contest. This is about genuinely um, being the type of person that you want other people to be and that you want the organization to benefit from. Yeah. And there's dirty, rotten scoundrels out there all Lots of over. <laughs> you don't want to have alliances with them. No. Matter of fact, if you try to do some of the, now you can, like with the coercive power and stuff, right? You can manage some of those relationships. But if it's a peer or somebody else on the org, this kind of referent power, you can't trust that with those kinds of people. But we'll see lots of good, you know, I'll just use the term good dudes, good gals too, that get together and they're friends in the workplace. Ben, how many consulting gigs have we had that people call us like, listen, we've already had four or five people in here and they've left it a disaster, but we know that you guys are some good dudes and we trust you. Yeah. It's happened 127 times. Okay. Great. Yeah. So I, I, I have my, my, uh, <laughs> my checklist here. No, it does, but it does happen frequently, right? Because good people should and do find each other. Right. Don't just be cat. You're not cast out into the world as a sole lonely person. Form alliances with people. And this is why I'm such a big advocate for people getting involved in nonprofit and charity work because automatically that kind of work self-selects good people. It oftentimes and, does. And you yeah. all of a sudden have more people to be allies with, you know? Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, so now I think we can move to talk a little bit about influence. Remember, you know, earlier in the episode, we talked about power as, you know, something that you have and it's the ability to influence other people, but it's not, you're not necessarily making the decision to do so all the time. Influence instead is about actually using a behavior to try to change someone's attitude or their behavior, right? Changing the way they think or the way they act about something. Um, you know, you can kind of see this as directional, right? It's, you know, it could be downward or uh, a manager influencing employees, but it can also be uh, peers influencing peers, or it could be an, an employee even influencing a manager. Um, so it can go in many different directions. But let's talk through some of these influence tactics, right? So there's uh, there are these influence tactics that we refer to as soft influence tactics for some reason. And the first one is persuasion. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, there's baseball bat influence too, right? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Now, right, so persuasion is using, now the literature says logical arguments, but I see people persuade people using faulty baloney logic. Yeah, we're, we're sticking on, we're sticking with the good way to do right, this. Right. So, but persuasion is a way of using logical arguments, factual evidence, and emotional appeals. And this comes out of like early stuff where they saw pathos, ethos, logos, mm -hmm. you know, you have an emotional appeal, an appeal to authority, appeal to logic, these kinds of things. This kind of comes out of that, you know, a, a solid persuasive argument should maybe because I'm an expert and oh, just because I'm an expert, also these really rational ways and gosh darn it, if you do it well, it's going to feel great. The sterile, I know Ben and I wish it was, we wish we could just make sterile logical arguments and sway everyone. But if you have, don't forget in your persuasion attempts and using it well, to throw a little bit of emotion in there, it's going to have a lot of weight. It really will. You know, people do like to, they, you know, 
I guess every TEDx be, speech, every TED speech <laughs> ever has these three that, items. That's, that's true. You know, people, um, when you change the way someone feels about something, that, that can be very powerful. You know, so as an influence tactic, that's persuasion. Um, another influence tactic is ingratiation and impression management. So this is where you're trying to get someone to uh, maybe increase the amount that they like you or maybe the perceived similarity, right? So you try to come up with commonalities with somebody. If I'm, you know, just trying to get to know someone a little bit, it's like, hey, like, so where are you from? Oh, well, I grew up near you or something like that. Or maybe we have something else in common. And when you can build some common ground, you start to increase some of that referent power and it can be a way to influence someone a little bit more. Yeah, I remember when I moved to Alabama, you know, there was this things like, who's your daddy? Like, who's your dad, right? Because these towns were small enough that people actually, oh, your dad manages the hardware store downtown? I think you had... In Hey, we know that's yeah. a good family. And, uh, you know, they're seeking these similarities, these commonalities. Um, it's generally a part of, hey, so who's your football team? <laughs> right? These are all normal social interaction skills that are all around ingratiation and impression management. That's right. So another influence tactic that we consider to be a soft influence tactic is what we call exchange, where you maybe promise some sort of benefit or a resource in exchange for somebody doing something. And that's another way that you, of course, could get someone to do something. Um, now, this is not necessarily, you know, coercing someone to do it. You're not being manipulative, um, but you are exchanging or promising some sort of benefit in return. Yeah, it could be as simple as, hey, can we borrow your goat? We'll give you a case of beer. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe by the time this episode releases, people will have an idea of, of what that's all about. This is but... a big Easter egg coming soon. That's right. But, well, no more goats. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> on to silent authority. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's talk now about some, some hard influence tactics. And the first one is something that we call silent authority. And this is where you are, you know, using your legitimate power, but you're not necessarily referring to your power base. So you're not saying, hey, do this because I'm the boss. You're just telling people to do stuff, right? You're just acting that part. And... You know, it can work. Um, Give us a good example of this one, Dan. I mean, this would be just, you know, as the commanding officer of a, of a Navy Reserve unit right now, just giving orders, right? And because people know who I am in my position, they will, their, their behavior probably will be influenced, right? Um, so, so that's an example. Um, you see bosses who just kind of order people around as well. Um, and depending on the kind of the way that you do that, it can be more or less effective. But, you know, it's called a hard influence tactic because it's not this kind of persuasion piece. It's not explaining why something needs to happen. It's not trying to ingratiate yourself with another person or have some sort of sort of, you know, some liking in that relationship. Um, it, it's much more of a cold kind of behavior. Right. Um, the next one's upward appeal. Mm. And this one, yeah. I don't know. This one is yeah. kind of like. I call this gorilla in the room sometimes. <laughs> so it's this idea you're getting support from one or more people with higher authority or expertise. And so I remember being on some really large projects early in my career, right? And sometimes my boss would just come in the meeting, like not at the beginning. He'd let me kick it off, but he'd just come and stand in the corner and watch. And my boss had like a lot of power at this one. I'm thinking of this one opportunity. He'd just stand and he wouldn't say anything. Maybe he'd nod his head occasionally and then he'd leave. And at this point, like everybody knew I had 
influence here because my boss has got my back. Yeah. Right. He knows what's going on. But by him doing that and not giving any disclaimer, just allowing me, people kind of knew that I had his power yeah. behind me. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that, that's uh, that's good. I'm sure it was effective in that situation. Um, you know, this could also be where maybe you're saying that, OK, we need to do this because all these other people above me say they need to do it. Right. That's not is not really a um the most effective way to influence other people saying, oh, we got to do this because corporate says we have to, right? That could be an upward appeal yeah, as because, well. And you, when you say that kind of stuff, you get rid of your influence. Yeah. Like, well, never, never do what Ben says because he only trumpets the party line, right? Right, right. Another hard influence tactic is coalition formation. And I always think of this as like, you know, let's say a, a group of students, a group of students, that's an important piece, all get together and they come to me and say, well, we really want to renegotiate what this final assignment's going to look like in the class, right? Getting a group of people to then come forward and try to influence someone. Which uh, you actually prefer if they do that, right? Because you can tell them no all at once, <laughs> other than <laughs> no individually. Yet, that's right. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> that's right. Uh, this is where you form a group that tries to influence others by kind of pooling your resources and power. Um, so that's another way you can do this. Uh, kind of, it, it sometimes can be kind of ganging up on other people, though, right? Yeah. So um, you want to be careful there. So some more hard tactics would be information control. Right, right. So this is where we're starting to get fairly uh, nefarious. This is getting kind of um, manipulative. So, you know, so maybe you've had a boss who deliberately was telling one person one thing, telling another person another thing, um, just to try to kind of change people's attitudes or behaviors. And that's, that's ugly. Um, Kids do this on their playground. Like your mom said, you're supposed to help me paint my fence. <laughs> <laughs> All the stuff that people say, oh, grow up. How do no, pay attention to these things when you're young because it's going to be the same trash when you're out in the business environment. <laughs> right, right. And the last hard influence tactic that we'll discuss here is what they call assertiveness in the literature. And normally you think of assertiveness as being a positive thing. But um, in this context, what we're talking about is when you're uh, really actively using that legitimate coercive power, you're pressuring people with threats and pressure. It's, um, that's not very fun. Yeah. Hey, I don't know if you want to face the consequences if you don't do this. Right. Right. And then you leave those cons like, oh, I'm going to sue you or I'm going to, you know, like, <laughs> so, I mean, you can do that. Right. Yeah. And we've seen executives do that kind of stuff all the time. It is one technique. But remember, if you ever do use these hard techniques and any of these techniques, do it for good. Right. Right. You know, like you assertiveness, legitimate course of power. If you act in this way again, you're out of here because that doesn't meet our values and our culture. Or you know what? That is a violation of a core tenet of our company's culture. You're out the door. That's right. That's right. You know, so that brings us to an important question, though. You know, we talked about these different influence tactics, the soft ones and the hard ones. And it brings us to a question of, okay, well, do all of them work equally well? And it turns out, no. Some influence tactics work better than other influence tactics. Um, when we think of those hard influence tactics, that silent authority, that upward appeal, forming a coalition, controlling information, being super assertive, you tend to get a little bit more resistance, 
right? And you tend to get more just compliance, right? And so compliance is where I'll, I'll do what you say, but I'm not going to like it, right? You're changing my behavior, but not my attitude. Say, I like to think of these as spices or uh, fluorescent colors, right? You know, unless it's the 80s, fluorescent colors should be very, used very judiciously, <laughs> <Use> right? sparingly. <laughs> used sparingly, right? You can't just dump a whole barrel of cayenne pepper into some chili, right? <laughs> but there is some times... Right. That you can keep people on their toes a little bit if, oh, it's all nice and that, and then all of a sudden assert, right? That This is when you start to get into the art. But if you look at them in aggregate, yeah. this is the whole thing. Handle these with care. Right. And there, so, you know, so the soft influence tactics, those, you know, persuasion, ingratiation, impression management, um, exchange, those tend to get more commitment out of folks, which is where people are changing their hearts and their minds and actually doing something that you wish them to it's do. Sustainable influence it, is it, what it's it is buying. sustainable. And those are those are generally better. Um, but it, like you said, Chris, it's important to not throw out those hard ones, those other options that you may have in your influence toolkit, because sometimes you may need to be very assertive with a member of your team. If he or she is Publicly challenging your authority, for example, um, you may need to shut that down publicly, and that comes through, um, you know, using some coercion or using some sort of consequence for that person. So, you know, treat them with care, and you know, I, I think thinking of them as different spices is a nice way to think about it. Um, you know, so people can respond differently to these influence tactics, and you know, you can either have commitment where you actually change your behavior and your attitude, or you can just change your behavior, or you can just flat out resist. And of course, we want people to be more committed to what you're saying. Yeah. And sometimes you can still salvage that. So you may have to use one of those hard influence things in the moment because you're navigating a portfolio of relationships here. But you might say, hey, man, let's go to lunch. Right. right? And you say, listen, man, I really hated that I had to do that with you. But when you do these things, it undermines my ability to navigate the organization, and I can't have that. However, I'd like to have you as an ally. What was going on? Right? You can still shape those kinds of items, even, you know, you pour a little salt in the wound, but maybe you wash it out later. <laughs> well said. So today on the Indigo podcast, we talked about influence and power. We talked about what power is and the primary sources of power. We talked about what influence is and some different influence tactics. And in there, we wove some uh, different implications for people, leaders, and organizations. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.